Well, good morning again. Merry Christmas, everyone. If you, uh, if you have a Bible, it's not going to do you much good in the sense that um, I'm not going to just open up to one spot and just hang out there. Uh, this is going to be a topical sermon, so I'm going to be kind of running all over the place. Um, and so, if you, it, you know, being good Barians, if you want to check and make sure my work is correct, I, I will gladly hand out a copy of the sermon. Um, but um, there's going to be a lot of verses flying at you. So if you have your Bible, just hold on to it tight because it's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> um, the, the basic idea, though, comes from uh, I, the, the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, which I will read that for us just to give you a sense of what I'm, what I'm going to be talking about. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay? And this is, this is talking about Emmanuel, that sweet, nice Christmas decoration that we've all gotten very accustomed to um, hearing a lot about. What we're going to be talking about today is Emmanuel, which we all know means God with us. So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the Christmas season. We pray, Father, for the spirit of Christmas, which has come and dwelt in our hearts, which is the spirit of the living God. We pray, Father, that you help us this morning to understand these things, these deep things of God that um, you have revealed to us in your Son. We pray, Father, that you strengthen us and grow us in our faith. We pray, Father, that you lead us from grace to grace. We pray that you continually fill us and give us life and life to the fullest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as I said, we've all gotten very used to hearing that word, Emmanuel. And I think, like a lot of things, not only about Christmas, but about Christianity in general, is we've gotten very, very used to it. It's not, it's not a concept or a theological idea or even a revelation that, that we think very deeply about, because the obvious, obviously, in the verses that they, they talk about in Isaiah and Matthew is that, well, I mean, it's Jesus. He came, he came with us, get it? He was in a manger. He was here with us. And, and that's true. Um, but like a lot of things, I mean, that's just the beginning, um, it always begins with Jesus, and it always ends with Jesus. But in between, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot that God gives us. There's a lot that God sends us. There's a lot that God wants us to understand, not only about himself, but about us and about the world in which we live. And so what does this mean, Emmanuel? I mean, what does it really mean that Jesus coming into the world means God with us? Much like the doctrine of the Trinity itself, in which the concept of, the, of Emmanuel falls, misunderstandings abound, I think. What is offered to us is as vast as the eternal God himself. We are satisfied merely with appetizers when a feast of everlasting food is offered to us. Um, Those of you who weren't here in my class two weeks ago, I I mentioned this, is that I I find that when we talk, uh, as modern Christians, we talk so much about Jesus, which we should, but that we become almost Unitarians about it. We don't understand always what it is that Jesus came to reveal, what Jesus came to be, what Jesus came to give. Uh, and, and so that's why on this Christmas morning, or Christmas season here, morning, third day of Christmas, I'd like to talk about all that Jesus came to give us. Uh, we're very easily satisfied uh, with trinkets and with um, subtleties and with small gifts that the Lord gives us. And what we do is we get so fascinated by them sometimes, we get used to them, and we don't go any further in or further up. And so what does it mean that God is the Emmanuel? Well, if you go back to the very beginning, God walked with man in the cool of the day, it says. 
God in the garden actually walked with Adam face to face, spoke with him, communed with him, was there with him. Man was made through the word and filled with the light and life of God. Dwelling with the Lord, man was full. The first man was full of the Lord. But man rejected the word of God at the fall and expelled life, light, and purpose from all mankind. God no longer dwelt with us. And so if you go back to the beginning in Genesis 1, what does it say? What, what was there in the beginning? It was form, formless and void, full of darkness. Remember that? Okay, well, when, when Adam rejected the word of God, what he did was reverted all of mankind to, to pre-creation existence. He unmade us, in a sense. And so all mankind after Adam is full of what? Emptiness and darkness. It's void of purpose. And the concept of the, of, of the Emmanuel is the fullness of God to come and dwell with us. We are all empty now. We don't know what our purpose in life is. We don't know God himself. We don't understand why we are here, where we are going. We don't know how to make sense of the life that, that we have, that we're living. And what we need is the Emmanuel. We need God with us because God is light and life and fullness. And without those things, our life is empty and meaningless. Jesus defeated our enemies in power, establishing his throne over the universe. But that is not all that he did. That's a lot, but that's not all that he did. He cleansed and renewed us so that the fullness of God himself might dwell in us as the temple palace of the living God. You all are individual bricks in the palace of the Lord. He no longer lives in a temple made by hands. He lives in a temple made of humans. And that is the work of Christ. He came in order to give us the Father, and together they gave us the Spirit, so that we would have the fullness of God, the light and life that we all need so badly. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The, the triune God is full of generosity. They never get tired of giving. And when the Father gives us the Son, the point is the Son gives us the Father. Together they give us the Spirit. That, that's what this is all about. God didn't just come in a manger and then depart back to heaven. He made it so that God would live with us and in us forever. In us and with us forever. And so to begin, we're going to talk about the grace and generosity of the Father who gave us the Son. Now, we all know we lost the face-to-face relationship with God the Father. We lost our light, our ability to comprehend the things of God, and we lost our life. Death and separation permeated not only our relationship with God, but our relationships with one another. The image of God in man was twisted out of all recognition. We worshipped what God made and not God himself. We worship ourselves. We follow the rebel murderer Satan in all his ways. This is mankind apart from God. So the father in Genesis 3.15 made a promise to us. He promised to send a son who would save us from the Satan. He would crush his head. I think we're all familiar with that passage, right? Put enmity between you and the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Now, all the promises of God are based on that promise. The promise of a land is a promise for that son to have a kingdom. The promise to defeat our enemies is so that that son that he promised would have a mission. And as we all know, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. God was leaving little secret Christmas presents all through the Old Testament. All of these promises that are all fulfilled in his son. He wants us to look forward to the son, to desire the son, 
to see the treasures of Christ, of all that God has for us in his son. All the promises find their yes and amen in Jesus. And so every time we discover a new promise and how Jesus fulfills it, we have yet another reason to worship Jesus as our Lord, as the fullness that God has sent into the world. The Father made the promises so that he could give us Jesus as the fulfillment of those promises. He delights in his Son and gives us every promise so that in the fulfillment of them we might also delight in his Son. Every promise made to us is a reason to rejoice in Jesus. Now, the idea behind these promises was to be with us. Okay? The idea of the Emmanuel wasn't new to Isaiah. The thing that was new to Isaiah's um, prophecy is the fact that there would be a virgin birth. But the idea that God wants to dwell with you forever is not new to Isaiah. As one commentator stated, the concept of the special presence of God goes back to the very garden where God conversed with Adam in the cool of the day. But God manifested his presence in many ways throughout the Old Testament, in the pillar of cloud and of fire, in the symbolism of the tabernacle and the temple, especially the Holy of Holies and the Ark of Covenant. But the problem was, whenever man got near these things, God still seemed strange and distant. Usually, when people come in contact with God in the Old Testament, they're so terrified that they actually want the experience to stop. He's not a God that's approachable in that sense. It's terrifying. Remember when they're moving the Ark and one... In order to save it from falling into the dirt, one man reaches out and touches it, and he's struck down dead, right? It's terrifying to come close to God. And so the idea that God would come amongst us, to a lot of people, I'm sure, would be terrifying if you read the Old Testament. You're not really sure if you want that, right? It's very mysterious what what he means by that. And so the coming of a baby in a manger is shocking, to say the least. And, and, it's, and it reveals all the, mis, all the things we misunderstand about God. Because a God that's terrifying and distant, that we get that. But a God that comes close, despite that, that terrible holiness that he has, that, that's, that's very different. And that's what Jesus comes to reveal. Okay? God wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. He, he promised Israel over and over again. Um, if, you, if you read Leviticus 26, 11, and 12, you find the fundamental idea behind all the promises of God. This is what God's seeking. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. And so the concept of Emmanuel, that God would be with us, isn't new to Isaiah. It's long expected in the coming of the, of the Messiah, and yet it's very mysterious. It's very mysterious. The promise that God would be with us, dwell with us, was always the Father's intent. It was always his desire. It was always his plan. Okay? And, and increasingly, the Jews thought that it was bad news for everyone else and good news for them. Right? They, they couldn't wait for the holy, perfect God to come, that terrible, terrifying God to come into the world and put everything to right, meaning put them in charge of everything. But that's not what it means to have God with us. Think about it. God walked with him in the cool of the day. That sounds very different than what the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were describing God coming into the world when Jesus was there. And so, children of God, this is why we are here. This is why we're celebrating Christmas. This is why we're here every week on this holiday known as the Sabbath. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these promises. Matthew makes this very plain as the concept of God with us frames the entire gospel of Matthew. 
It says in Matthew 1, 22 through 23, the birth of Jesus happened to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. And here's a verse at the end. It says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus states, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the point of Jesus coming to the world, that God wouldn't just save us from our sins so at the very end of our life we could check out of this place and go where he is in heaven, Away, apart from this nasty world, but that God wanted to come and make his home with us and be with us always, not just on Sunday morning, not just when we pray, not just when we read our Bibles, not just when we're feeling super spiritual, but always. He wants to be with us always. God sent the Son to be with us forever, to reestablish intimate fellowship, faithfulness, and communion with the eternal creator and lover of our souls. This is the other thing that's impossible for us. Why would God want us? Why would the Father want us? I don't know if you struggle with this, but I struggle with this all the time. Is Why? Why? Why me? And, and it, it begs me to disbelieve. But the thing is, no one is worthy of his love. No one except the Son. And yet, he sent his Son into the world to give that love to all of us. His love is so good, it's so pure that he bestows it on people who don't deserve it. Right? There's nothing you can ever do to qualify to have it, and yet you have it. It's a remarkable thing. Jesus came to reveal these things to us. He's the light of men. Okay? And, and this is what I want you guys to understand now, is that what does that mean that Jesus is the light? That's another trinket that we like to hang on the Christmas tree of Christianity. We don't really understand that. Well, Whoever turns on lights to see the light? When you get up in the morning and it's dark, do you turn the light on so you can stand there and stare at the light? No. When you go outside, the sun is shining. How, it's not good to stare at the light, right? We stare up at the light, it burns our eyes. You have light so that you see everything else. And so when Jesus is the light of, the, of, of men, the light of the world, it's so that we understand and see everything else in the light of him, right? He shines on it, and we see it truly and really in the light of Jesus Christ, right? Am I loved by God? Yes, he comes and he shows us. We can see because of Christ that God the Father truly loves us, right? Is, is such and such wicked? Is lying wicked? Yes, we can see that it is. We understand that it is because Jesus has come into the world, and we, we measure things by him. We see things because of him. C.S. Lewis said it was the difference between looking at light and looking along light, If we're outside someone's house, you can see the lights on in there. You're looking in at the light. But when you're, like right here, this light of the, right, we're looking along the light beams to see everything else. This is what it means that Christ is the light of the world. He wants to come and show us that the Father loves us despite of the fact that everything that we have done. He wants us to see all that we have done compared to the love of God which transcends it. Everything you've done does not prevent you from being with God forever. He wants to be with you, and he's sending his son so that you can see it. Right? This is why they keep talking about the light dawning when Jesus comes. Behold, everyone, you are wicked, and yet God loved you anyway. And so come to him because he wants to, to be with you. He wants to be with you forever. We are broken. Right? I do not need to convince people of that generally. We are empty. 
Right? We have reverted back to pre-creation existence. What is the point? It's full of chaos, our lives. It's full of emptiness. It's full of estrangement. We know these things. And what we need to come, come to see is that Christ comes to reverse this. He comes to offer us the fullness of God himself. We are helpless. We can't understand what God is doing in, this, in his providence. We are tired. We are sick. We are feeble. We are fading into nothing. We all, at times in our lives, feel, some of us more than others, the grip of death, the grip of the tomb. We need help. We need hope. We need light. We need, need, need. <laughs> it's one of the, the, the most wonderful things that you can um, find out about yourself is how needy you truly are. And I love it when God gives me and, and others opportunities to see how needy we are, right? The initial response is always bad. But after a while, you're like, you know, I had no idea how needy I really am. I'm glad my wife is here to fulfill needs that I have. I'm glad my children are here to fulfill emptinesses inside of me I didn't even know I had, right? And all of that comes through seeing by the light of Christ, right? I, we're all very needy. We need unconditional love. We need fullness. We need help. As I was saying this morning in the call, we think we're going to do it for Jesus, but he's here to do it for us because we can't ourselves. Okay? And in the face of all this need comes the Father, who so loved the world he gave. That's one of my favorite verses. And as much as I've studied it and read it and meditated on it, I can't get to the next clause because that first clause is so marvelous. God so loved the world he gave. It tells you everything about the Father. He loves it, and so he gives. That's what he does. He gives the world. He fills the world. He made you. You fell away and fell into emptiness, and so now he's giving you the sun to fill you. It's remarkable. God so loved the world he gave, and he's never tired of giving, and he knows what you need, and he has it, and he's willing to give it. The Apostle Paul said, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? God didn't just send his son to be with us for a while, but to, to alter permanently our way of life, our everyday life. Jesus gives us everything we need for a godly life, it says in 2 Peter 1.3. And my God will supply every need of yours, Philippians 4.19. God knows what you need. And it's hard to admit what you need. But get on your knees and tell them, what do you need? And if you can't see it, if you think, no, I'm good, I got everything. In fact, Christmas was two days ago. I have even more than I had before. <laughs> Ask him to show you what you need. God knows what you need eternally. God knows what you need today. It's not just about your past sin or a future hope in heaven. God, Jesus, is with us every day till the end of the age. Now, one of the things that we need, that Jesus coming into the world provides, is the Father. This is, I love this circular argument. The Father gives us the Son to give us the Father. <laughs> and why, why does he give us the Father? Well, so that we could have him, and through him have the Son, and through him have the Father. And it's a never-ending circular giving that the God uses to come into our lives and fill it with himself. Now John Piper says God is the gospel. He is what we get. It's true. And there's no end to it. Throughout the gospels, Jesus introduces us to something more primal and profound about God than anything revealed in the Old Testament. 
With the incarnation of Jesus Christ in his life and ministry, man is introduced to God in a way never previously communicated to him. He's the father. There's occasions in which he is referred to as the father, a few occasions in the Old Testament. But generally what they're talking about there is it usually has to do with sonship and kingship in the the sense of like inheriting land. Um, It's very sort of formal. It's not this loving tenderness that you have, right? God wants to show us what he is, and so he gives us a boy, a baby, because a man with his children is very different than a man at war. A man with his child is very different than a man at work. And God wants us to, to know him as that, as the father. And so he gives us a son. And through Jesus Christ, what's revealed to us is that God is a loving and doting and father who adores his son. Okay, we understand that in the beginning was God. Jesus comes, and what we, under, what we understand through the revelation that was read for us this morning in John, that, that they were before that. The triune God is the triune God apart from you, apart from anything that's made. The Father always loved the Son, the Son always loved the Father, and they always loved the Spirit, and vice versa, forever. They're, they don't become who they are because they made stuff. They are who they are. And they made you, and they made this place in order to show you how much they love you. Calvin called this world the theater of God. And there's a play about one starring one person, the son. And, and he created all of this to show you who his son is and through him to show you who he is. Jesus reveals two members of the Godhead as eternal father and eternal son. The God, God the father, is the father because of the son. He takes the son away. He's not, he ceases to be himself. You take the, the, the father away, the son ceases to be the son. They give each other meaning in their relationship to one another. And by being in relationship to them, you also have meaning. It's not chaos. When you become a child of God, that gives your life meaning and purpose. Fittingly, the Gospels record the lifelong conversation that Jesus shared with his father. This is one of the amazing things. If you read the Gospels, the way that you learn about the relationship between the father and the son largely occurs by overhearing their private conversations. There's occasions, a few, where Jesus simply declares some things about the Father, but almost all of it comes through a dialogue that the two of them are having that we all get to overhear. It says in John eleven forty one through 42, So they took away the stone, this is when they're raising Lazarus, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. He's showing us what a relationship with the Father is supposed to be like. Adam showed us one way to have a relationship with the Father, and it didn't go well. And it fills us with, like I said, emptiness, darkness, and chaos. But more than just showing us this relationship and showing us this conversation, they invite us into the conversation. They invite us, as C.S. Lewis says, into the dance. John fifteen seven. If you abide in me, Christ says, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Wait, 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 wait. So when you go around Jesus and you're asking the Father to heal and to give power and to restore, you're saying, I can do that as well. You're inviting me into that conversation that the two of you are having that you have had since before time began. You want us to participate in that. 
You want us to go to the Father as needy children like you go to the Father as a needy child? Yes, is the answer of Jesus' life. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, making himself equal with God, which is the reason the Jews sought to kill him. As the incarnate Son, he introduced us to a very different kind of God than the Jews had ever worshipped. John 1, 12-13, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He didn't just come to be a son so that we would see how sons relate to the Father, but to make us ourselves sons and daughters of the living God. This is what, this is what I mean by the fact that we do not understand what these words mean. We get used to these ideas, and we go about our lives struggling in emptiness, chaos, and darkness. Christ didn't just come in a manger, look, he's cute baby, and that's Emmanuel, and we move on to other parts of the story. He came to give us the Father forever. And, and, and what kind of father is he? What does the rest of the gospel say about that? And that's your father and I know how impossible this is for many people because we have fathers, <laughs> right? I even, I, I have to be honest, I have an awesome dad. I really do. But I was just thinking the other night about how even in God's graciousness, I can see that there's so much more to the father. Even with the good things I have to be grateful for, the father in heaven is still better than that. But but I know there are people who think father, and it, and they're like, well... That's an aspect of God I'm not going to think about because I've met my dad. But Jesus comes to take you out of the family you're in and to put you into his family, the family in which the fullness of God dwells, in which all the world is run by a God who loves you, who wants the best for you, who is willing to do anything, including slay his son Jesus in order to have you and to give you a better life. That is the God you serve in heaven. He's not like your earthly dad, as good as he might be. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God wants to be with us always. Okay? You're not grown-up children who leave the house and go off. When you think of yourself as a child of God, think of little children. What do they have that the father does not, their father and mother do not put into their hand? Where do they go where their mother and father do not have? Okay, this is uh, parents together demonstrate a great deal about God the Father, because we are two individuals who become one. There's this one entity, and together we provide everything our children have: the love that they know, what they call things they learn from us. Right? What is this called? Well, this is called a truck. Right? This is the light and life of men comes in the world. And God the Father, through the Son, teaches us everything, provides for us everything, gives us an environment in which to thrive, in which to do his will, in which to glorify him. It's, this is what he wants for you. He wants to be with you always, like a good, doting parent. This is what God the Father wants. And here's another thing about this, is that, in Matthew three sixteen through 17, at Jesus' baptism, sorry about that, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. 
Now, what I love about this is this is before Jesus did anything. This is not love flowing from the Father to the Son because the Son did something. He loves the Son for who the Son is in himself. He loves his boy. His boy doesn't have to do anything to go out and deserve the Father's love. And that is what's given to you. So stop trying to deserve his love. You can't win it. It's already yours. And what you need to do is embrace that. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. And in Christ, he offers that acceptance and that love to you, free. And the harder you try to earn it, the less you're going to feel it. But he loves you. He loves you, and he is pleased in you. And so rest in that love. Rest in that light. This relationship is essential to our understanding of God's character and desire for man. Okay? He wants us to understand this. He wants children to love, to give, to bless in, in themselves for who they are. He loves you for who you are in yourself. And he's willing to take away everything that stands in his way to have you as his, his own. We have a father who longs to hear our petitions and our concerns. He wants to bless us. He wants to hear from us. He wants to give us his love and acceptance. He's waiting. Okay? Go to him. Stop being full of the things of this earth that don't fill for eternity. Right? The trinkets, the nice things. Right? If, if my sons simply opened the Christmas presents in the morning and didn't acknowledge us at all, how would that, I mean, what is that? We all know how horrible that is. It's horrible to experience. It's horrible to watch for their own sake. And so what we are doing is we're running around, opening presents, sometimes ones that are meant for us, <laughs> meant for others, and we're delighting in them all by themselves. But the Father has filled the, the tree. Right? The, under the tree is full. And he wants you to delight in those things in his presence. He wants to love you for who you are and, and be with you while you're opening them. So don't don't go around running around opening all these things and forget him. We have a father who longs to be with us, longs to fill us with his son. But that's not all, actually. I've said a great deal at this point, but there's more to this. Because the father and the son are giving us each other, and together they're giving us the Holy Spirit. Just when we think we've gotten to the end, just when we think there couldn't be more to this, there's more to this, being the children of God. Jesus reveals that the triune God is the Emmanuel, the God with us always. After he departs to fulfill the promise of making our home in heaven, Jesus explains how he's going to be with us all the time. John 15:26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father... Right? Jesus has a physical body now. Now, he may be able to mysteriously walk through walls, as it says at the end of one of the Gospels. It's debatable. But he still has a physical body. He can't be everywhere at once in that sense. He can know what's going on everywhere at once. But Jesus now has physical, a physical, in a sense, limitation. He can't, if he walked up to you to walk in, to be in your heart, he would just do this. Okay? He, he has a physical body. This is what I'm talking about where we become Unitarians and we think it's all Jesus by himself, the lone gunman, out there sniping Satan on the high plains. Isn't he awesome? But the fullness of God, it's dynamic. 
And Jesus is with you always. And he is by the operation of the Holy Spirit. Okay? God could not come and dwell with you because sin was in the way. And so Jesus took that away. Now he wants to dwell with you, but what the limitation is is time and space. Because he's in heaven and you're here. And so the spirit comes and eliminates time and space in order to unite your spirit with God by his spirit. Remember, Dean has been talking about this. The spirit of God dwells in you. And it connects you to God the Father and God the Son always. And this does, in fact, boggle the mind. We are like those who dream. And we are like those who doubt, who listen to that and say, really? Really? By the Spirit, Christ lives here in my heart. But he does. This is the promise of God. This is what he came to do, to cleanse you and to purify you so that he could live in you. And he does so by the Holy Spirit. And it all ties together in this way. Because what's promised in Jesus is light and life. Okay, now let's stick with that motif for a moment to see how all of this works together and see that Jesus isn't the greatest lone ranger that ever lived. Because what does the Spirit do? The Spirit gives life. That's what he does. It says in Genesis 2-7, the breath of life, the word is the same for the Spirit, is breathed into man. In Job 33-4, it says, the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life the breath being the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit that gives life to Mary's womb in Luke one thirty five. It was the Holy Spirit who entered the tomb and resurrected Jesus according to 8.11, or Romans 8.11. Okay? The Spirit of God went and resurrected Jesus. He didn't do it himself. This is what I'm talking about. People think it's all Jesus all the time. And, and what the Father and the Spirit and the Son are working together to give us the fullness of God, not a part of God, the fullness of God. The Spirit gives life, even to, to, to Jesus in the tomb. And so what do, you, do you feel dead? Do you feel empty? Honestly, is the illness making you feel like you're, right? What is this body worth? It's rusted and broken down. Are you sitting at your kitchen table wondering, is this really all there is? The Spirit of God is the life of God. It's what takes all that Jesus has accomplished in you and brings it right to where you are and dwells within you. But this isn't all that the Spirit does. He fortifies our hearts so that the glory and eternal God might dwell within us. Okay? In Ephesians 3.16, it says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Okay? If, if, the, if the Lord came and tried to dwell in your heart, it's broken down, it's broken, it's carnal it's made out of flesh it would he would crush it and so the spirit comes and sort of fortifies you within yourself in order to god to pour his fullness inside of you and so what's inside of you is the spirit of god and it can bear the weight of the glory of god you cannot all by yourself you can't do anything all by yourself and so the spirit comes from the father and the son who have already done so much for you so that they might be with you always. It's not just a story that begins and ends on Christmas morning. Emmanuel is God with us always. Now, the other thing that the Spirit does that connects directly to the, to the Spirit, connects directly to the Son, is he enlightens the mind. Okay? Like I said earlier, Jesus comes and he's life and he's light. As I explained, it's understanding. Well, it's also it's the spirit who applies that directly to you. 
Okay? He, he comes and he, he gives you understanding in your mind. And what is the understanding that he gives you? Jesus. Jesus said, the helper will come and he will teach you all that I have said. He will teach you all about me. And this is why a lot of people call the spirit the forgotten God. Because his operation has to, nothing to do with himself. Right? The more you love Jesus, the more someone is praising Jesus, worshiping Jesus, walking like Jesus, that's where the spirit is. Because he's like the wind. Right? You don't see the wind, but you see the trees moving. And you know that the wind is there. And so when you see people's lives stirring up for Jesus, you know that the spirit is there. And he comes and he gives life. He regenerates. Just like he gave us the breath of life, the spirit comes upon us and gives us the life of God internally so that what's inside of us, our spirit, never dies. And what he also does is he comes into the mind and he gives us the light of Jesus Christ. And this is, this is what it means to have God with us always. When you're reading your Bible and you understand it and you feel the stirring in the spirit and you, and you want to be with Jesus and you want to love him more, that's the operation of the Holy Spirit. And so all of this, to bring it full circle, has to do with this. This is what it has to do with. The Spirit comes and builds a temple out of you. You are the temple, the dwelling place of the Lord our God. Ephesians 2.22, in Christ you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, he, he is reinforcing your hearts to bear the weight of glory. He's coming and enlightening your mind so that Christ might dwell in your mind, that you might see by him and understand him and desire him in your heart and in your mind always. This is the fullness of God. Okay? As we've seen, God's the Father's love and, and Jesus' power and the life and light of, of Jesus that comes through the Spirit. This is, this is what comes and makes its home with you and fills you. And this Christmas, don't, you know, the cutesy nativity scenes and everything, it's, it's not bad, but we're so easily pleased. The whole thing is dumbed down so much. The whole thing is trivialized and so sentimental. But God the Father sent his son into a dark, chaotic, and broken world to build for himself a temple where he will dwell forever. And the poetry of that makes it hard to understand, but you are that temple. God the Father loves you, and he sent you, the Son, so that he could cleanse you of your sin and that the Spirit could come and dwell upon you and unite you to the Father and in your mind to Christ and that you might cry out to God the Father and that he would hear you and that you would have him always. In the Old Testament, you had to go to a special place to worship God. And only then once a year could the high priest go into the Holy of Holies and see and, and go before God and it was terrifying. They would tie a rope around them and in case they died in there to drag them out because nobody could go in there after him. Okay, and, and we are so so easily pleased with what I call trivial aspects of Christianity. The fullness of God, the face to face relationship, the walking in the cool of the day. Leave here. Go to your car. And as you're walking, as this rain is falling on you, pray to the Father and he will hear you because of the Son. Because the Son has made you his children. And he's given you the Spirit to eliminate time and distance to be with you where you are, wherever you go. 
There's no special building. We don't have to get on a plane and fly to the Middle East. We don't have to go to school for years and years and years to become high priests or pastors or anything else. The Son has done it all because the Father loves you, and the Spirit is inside of you to show you that. Now, C.S. Lewis said that it's hard for us to imagine a trip to the sea because we're so fascinated by mud pies. <laughs> Have you ever seen that in children? It's, some, it's like, guys, um, I'm glad you like the packaging on the present. Could we open the present now? Right? It, it was expensive. <laughs> but no, I mean, sometimes you can't get them past the bows. And that's what we can't get past the trappings of Christianity or Christmas to the real heart of it, which is that we leave here and Christmas is over. But the story isn't. The reality isn't. The treasures aren't. Jesus said, those who love me, God and I, God the Father and I would come and make a home with them. Okay? Not a courtroom, not a suggestion box, a home. And what goes on in a home? That's what's offered to you on Christmas. And in that living room where Jesus and God the Father are is the tree of life on which Jesus hung, and under it are more presents than we could possibly imagine. Don't be dazzled by the wrapping. Open them. Open the word of God. Open your heart in prayer. Open the presence. There's more than there than you can open in a lifetime. Don't be distracted by the wrappings. God has come and made a home with us. And so let us rejoice, right? It's Solomon here right now, and it should be. We should, there should be a certain heaviness to us because we have things to repent of. But the whole point of this is that, is that emptiness you feel, that heaviness that you feel in Christ is taken away. And the fullness of joy, the fullness of God himself is there offered to you. Don't be dazzled by the wrappings. Go for the heart of it, which is Jesus Christ and his Father and his Spirit. And amen. Father, we thank you so much for the Christmas story. And, and I pray, Father, now deeply that you would teach us that it is not simply a holiday, that it is not simply a day in which we get together and enjoy trivialities. But Christ came into the world to give us the fullness of God. Many of us in this room have things in our hearts and our minds that keep you from us. We have sins that we have committed. We have doubts. We have fears. But we pray, I pray, Father, for everyone in this room that you would fill us with all the fullness of God, that you would reveal yourself to us increasingly by the Spirit of God, and that we would know the love of God in Jesus Christ, and that we would live by that light, and that we would live full of that life today and every day for the rest of the year. And amen.